Heavenly Father, today we, we come before you based on and through the merits of Jesus, our Redeemer, the Righteous One, the Messiah, God the Son, who lived our life perfectly, the life we could never live. He lived for us. And the life that He lived for us, He granted to us so that we would have His righteousness forever as a cloak that allows us to come into Your presence. We thank You for the life that He lived and the death that He died, the death that we should have died upon the cross so that our sins could be washed away by His precious blood and that we could be made right in Your eyes and declared just by Your grace through faith in Christ's sacrifice. God, we want to magnify that life. We desire, as your people gathered in your name, to magnify Jesus, not just in this gathering, but in our going and our scattering and our living as we go out into the world and the mission field that you've called us into. But today you've called us together to be edified and directed and addressed by your word. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to illuminate and regenerate this morning those who need your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. This is where we will pick up in a few moments and continue on in our study of this great letter to the Philippians written by the Apostle Paul as he is residing in prison in Rome for defending the gospel. And his life is a life that we can look at as an example. His life was a life that magnified Christ. His life pointed us to what he loved most, which was Jesus. Our lives should be like that. Our lives are to be a little bit like telescopes. Whatever we focus on the most should be revealed in our life. A person who loves music is usually identified by magnifying its greatness. A person who loves work is usually identified by magnifying its necessity. A person who loves relationships is usually identified by magnifying their importance. Now, we, we don't make the things that we focus on greater than they truly are by focusing on them, but like a, like a telescope doesn't make the moon greater or more important than it really is by focusing on it, but, but the telescope magnifies the importance and the greatness of what it is focused on. And so should our lives. So what would someone see if they looked through the telescope of your life today? What is your life focused on? What does your life magnify? That's the question we need to ponder this morning as we look at Philippians 1, 19 to 26. Philippians 1, 19 to 26 reveals that our lives should magnify Christ's intentions for our life, Christ's compassion through our life, and Christ's exaltation in our life. The Apostle Paul's life magnified Christ's intentions and his compassion and his exaltation. And he did that through his, number one, his courageous declaration that we see in 19 to 21. And he did that through his constricting dilemma that we see in verses 22 to 24. And Paul magnified Jesus' intentions and compassion and ultimately his exaltation 
through his confident determination that we see in verses 25 and 26. So if you would, look with me at this text and listen as God addresses us this morning about how we should magnify Christ with our life. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be magnified. That's the word there, honored, magnified. In my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In verses 19 to 21, we hear, number one, a courageous declaration. This is a courageous declaration that magnifies or honors Christ's intention for his servant. In particular, for his servant Paul, who is defending the gospel in Rome and is imprisoned for it. Paul has a courageous declaration that will magnify Jesus' intention for his life as a servant. He says, I know. It means without a doubt he is absolutely assured that through the prayers of the saints and through the, the presence of Christ, the presence of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, everything that's happening to him will turn out for his deliverance. It will deliver him from self-focus. It will deliver him from the fear of death because he knows he belongs to Christ. And his imprisonment just affirms that because he is remaining faithful to the gospel even though he is being pressured and even threatened. He's being sanctified. Verse 20, he says that it's his eager expectation and his hope that he will not at all be ashamed. He would not be ashamed for the way in which he presents Christ as he is imprisoned for Christ. But he says that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be magnified. Even in his imprisonment, Christ will be made much of. And then he says in verse 21, For to me, as opposed to those men that I mentioned in verses 15 and 17, to me, life isn't popularity or praise or the adoration of others. For to me, life is this. Life is Christ. My life is consumed with Christ. And my death will be gain. That's what he says. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul's courageous declaration magnified Christ's intention for his servant. That courageous declaration should magnify Christ's intention for all of us as we serve Christ as his ambassadors. We should be able to say with the Apostle Paul in verse 21, life is summed up 
by living Christ-honoring lives and being willing to do whatever it takes to magnify Jesus. So I think you can hear the courageous declaration there in verse 21. To live as Christ. To live as Christ and to live as He intended as His servant is life. That's how life is expressed to the Apostle Paul. True living, abundant living, is summed up this way. Defending Jesus' name on earth, even if it costs you everything. That's abundant life. Being His witness. That's, that's a, an abundant life. To live as Christ intended is true life. To live defending the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, edifying God's people, that is life to the Apostle Paul. He's in prison saying, I'm alive! I'm alive because I'm, I'm able to defend Christ and lead the Roman cohorts to Christ to encourage the Roman Christians to follow Christ and to even show those who try to attack me that I am not hurt by them because I want Christ magnified above all things, even my popularity, even my namesake. I want Christ's name to be magnified. That was Paul's eager expectation and hope for his life because he knew that God was at work in him. God was working out his will through the Apostle Paul's life providentially here. And that's, that's our eager expectation and hope also. Everything you're going through in life is to magnify Christ. And you can take courage in this. God can give you this eager expectation and hope to say with the Apostle Paul, to live in light of all the things around me that are going on in my life is Christ. I can trust in Him that He is in control of my life, that He has providentially placed me where I'm at for His glory. And I can rest in that. I can rest in knowing that my life is in His hands and His intentions for my life will not fail. He is sovereign. Paul knew that he would not be ashamed, not because Paul was so great, but because his Savior was so great who called him into this ministry. He was not ashamed of Christ's life. And he knew as long as he declared Christ's life, there would be no shame in his life. That's what he lived and breathed to do. Paul's full courage declared that he trusted Christ completely. His full courage declared that he trusted Christ to deliver him not only from eternal death. He is not afraid of death. You see that in verse 21. He, he says to, to die is gain. He's not afraid of death. He trusted Christ to deliver him from eternal death. But he's also trusting Christ to deliver him from a wasted life also. Because he knows this is Christ's intention. He is to be a witness. He is to be faithful to the end. And that's not a wasted life. Our lives are not wasted when we understand Christ's intentions, His eternal purpose for us. Listen, we, we, the church, those who are truly regenerated by God's grace through faith in Christ, we are called to be the salt of the world. We are called to go into the world and season it with the glorious gospel of Christ. We are called out to be the light of the world, to, to reflect upon the world the truth about Christ, to shine the light that points them to Jesus. That is your eternal purpose. That's what you will do forever in heaven. And he wants you to know that that's your purpose here on earth. That's, that's a life that's not wasted. Everything you do is to salt 
the world and to light the world with the truth about Christ. And there is substance and satisfaction in a life that understands God's intentions for it. In verse 21, Paul's declaration that sums up everything he said previous to this from 19 down, his declaration truly just magnified Christ's own declaration. Christ's declaration that he, Jesus, would provide salvation and purpose for his servants according to what it says in Acts. We hear Christ's declaration of our salvation and our purpose for salvation in Acts 2 and verse 8. I'm sorry, 1, 8, 1, 8. Jesus tells those who he has gathered together that this is the purpose of your salvation. This is what will propel you into his intentions, to do his will. He says, but you will receive power when the, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be, there's, there's no doubt here, there's no maybe you will be, there is Positive affirmation. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is Christ's declaration of our purpose, his intention for our life. His declaration meant that we should be courageous here on earth. This declaration was given to these apostles, these these disciples of Christ early on, so that they would stand out as courageous witnesses in a world that would be hostile to Jesus. And this declaration not only cultivated courageous activity, it also created anxious longing for heaven, for Christ's presence, not just here on earth, but one day to be with him in eternity. And that's what is constraining Paul when we come back to Philippians. That is what's constraining his actions. That's what he's struggling with as he is suffering in prison. He knows that God has made him courageous for a purpose so that his intentions would be manifest here on earth so that the gospel would be displayed through his life. Yet he is anxious to be home with Christ, the one he is faithfully witnessing for here in prison. Look with me in Philippians 1:22. To 24, we see here Paul describing his constricting dilemma. Secondly, it's the constricting dilemma of Paul that magnifies Christ's compassion for his people through his actions. Paul describes his constricting dilemma that magnifies Jesus' love made manifest through the actions of his servant. Look what it says in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Here, here's your, your development of his constricting dilemma. If I'm going to live, if, if the Lord sees fit to have me acquitted and sent out of this Roman prison and I continue to live, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live a fruitful life for Jesus. I'm not going to set back and relax and go into retirement because I've suffered much for Christ. I'm going to continue on with fruitful labor. I know that's God's intention for my life. But I don't know what to do. I know this, but I'm struggling in the midst of this situation when, when I feel this, I want to do what He calls me to do, but I also want to go home to heaven. Verse 23 says, I am hard-pressed. Between the two, 
constricted, compressed, constrained, hemmed in. My passion, he says, my desire, my subjective feeling is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain, to cling to this life in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul's constricting dilemma here magnifies Christ's compassion for his people. Do you, do you feel Paul's constricting dilemma in this text? In 22 to 24, Paul, Paul's weighing two real possibilities in his heart due to his imprisonment. Paul's expressing a constricting dilemma that lies within him. Paul is basically here in this text bearing his heart to the Philippians. He's bearing his heart to the Philippians here. And he's, he's saying, look, I have two passions. I have two passions and, and they're constricting me. I have a passion to, number one, to be a fruitful laborer for Christ. Or, number two, I have a passion to be a finished laborer for Christ. Those are his those are his two options, he feels, in his heart. It's constricting him. And listen, if you've been a Christian very long, you can testify to this dilemma, can you not? I mean, don't you feel that? Don't you feel at times, <laughs> my desire is to depart? It's far better to be with Christ. Far better. But, but God has me here for a purpose. It's, it's not just for my own sanctification. It's for His exaltation. And His exaltation comes through living out our life as a magnifying light of Christ's compassion. He says it's more necessary on your account for me to stay in the flesh, for me to cling to this life and to, to persevere in my fruitful labor for your sake. Paul's confident that his life will be expect, extended, rather extended, for that purpose. He's confident if my life is extended, it will be for one purpose. It will be to bring about fruitful labor that magnifies Christ's compassion for his people. But it's still real pressure that he's feeling here. He's feeling it mount up on both sides. It's hemming him in because he's been in this prison for two years now defending the gospel of Christ. Verse 23 says, that he is hard-pressed. Again, that, that, that term there means he is compressed. He is constricted. He is hemmed in by these two possibilities. To live and serve Christ fruitfully or to die and gain Christ finally. Those are the, the two possibilities that are pressing upon the Apostle Paul's heart. And what, what two great possibilities to have on your heart. I mean, do you have that on your heart? Do you recognize that if you're alive today after you've been saved, it is for one purpose? It is to bring about fruitful labor for Christ and magnify His love for the church and for the lost? That's why you exist after you're saved? Don't you ever wonder that? Don't you ever wonder why Jesus didn't save me and take me home? Right? Why does He leave me here? Is it for my misery? No. It's for His glory. So that through these vessels of clay, 
His glorious gospel will shine so that Christ will be magnified through our continued perseverance in the faith and His continued love for us and His grace that transforms us into the image of Christ from one level of glory to another. Paul's confident that that's why God called him and left him on earth. We need to be confident of this also. And I think that the dilemma is good for us. I think that there should be this dilemma, this this constricting feeling of, I want to be faithful and I want to be finally done. Because I think between those two, we, we are motivated to go out into the world and to live a life that is fearless for Christ. Fearless for Him. We, we are immortal till the Lord takes us home. We need to recognize that. We can live without fear in this life because of Christ's intentions and because of this fruitful labor that will be produced in us because He loves His church. See, you have a role to play in this church. You're here to bring forth fruitful labor for others. We need you. We need you. We need one another. That's why you're remaining in the flesh and you're in Christ's church. Because it's necessary on our account. Look back at verse 23. He says that he's hard-pressed between these two. But he says, my desire, my desire is to depart. On one hand, Paul, Paul desires to depart this life and be with Christ. Subjectively, Paul's passion his desires are to depart. And the term depart is very interesting here. It means to strike the tent of his life and break camp. Which could only be written by a man who knows how to make tents. It means, my desire is to break camp, strike the tent, and go home to be with Christ and live in his house. That's his desire. Because he knows something that we need to be reminded of. He knows that when his soul departs from his earthly tent, it will be immediately with Jesus. That motivates this man. That makes this man want to go home, but he wants to go home being faithful. Paul knows that when we die, we go immediately into Christ's presence. And this is by far better according to what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. Go there with me. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if the tent, that is, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this flesh, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, We are of good courage. We know, this is absolutely sure of, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. 
And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Oh, he knows for sure. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And to be present with the Lord is far better. There we will be in our eternal home. There we will be clothed with Christ's righteousness completely. We will be delivered completely from sin. Able to worship without any distractions. We'll have unending joy. We'll receive our final reward, which is Jesus. And His abiding presence with us. This is quite a dilemma. What do you long for? Do you long to be faithful? And do you long to be finally done? I think those are two things that are good to long for. It's quite a dilemma to have. Philippians 1, 23 to 24. He goes on to say in, in verse 24, but to, to remain in the flesh is more necessary. On, on one hand, he's saying it's far better to go home. It's far better to die. Do we, do we really believe that? Do we really and truly believe this? It is far better for us to die. It's better because we are finally set free to do what we want to do here on earth and we fall short of doing, which is to glorify Christ, magnify Him perfectly. If, if we really believe that, we have to also really believe that what is eternal is what is real and what we see is transient. Do you really believe that heaven is real? Do you truly put your hope in Jesus, who is the King of heaven, who is reigning from heaven, who will call you home to heaven to be with Him forever? Do you put your confidence in that? Or are you trusting in the comforts and the pleasures of this life? What's more important? For Paul, it was more important to be with Christ or to be serving Christ. So on one hand, it says it's far better. But on the other hand, he says that the love that Christ has given me and the love that I have in me and the life of Christ that dwells through me, it constrains me. This, this love that I have for Christ on one hand makes me want to go home. And that same love for Christ makes me want to serve Him on earth. I'm constricted. It's squeezing me tightly. It's holding me firm to my convictions that my life has a purpose here on earth and when it's done, it will be rewarded in heaven with Christ. But there's a reason I'm here now. And it's more important than my comfort, my hope of going home. You ever think about that? You're left here to do something that would magnify Christ on earth in a way that it won't magnify Christ in heaven. In heaven, you don't need to help other saints. They're good. They're holy. They're worshiping Christ perfectly. But here on earth, we need each other. And so Paul places the objective need of others over his subjective desire for himself, reflecting Christ. See, Christ's love is abiding in the Apostle Paul's heart. That love makes him want to go home, but that love also makes him want to care for Christ's church. So he sets aside himself, he humbles himself, so that he can serve others. 
verse 24 says that he does this so that he could remain. He says, I, I do this and I have to remain to do this. I have to cling on to my life so that I can actually serve you better. It's more necessary for me to remember my calling, my purpose for living objectively. Objectively, he is convinced that his life has a purpose here on earth. It's secure in heaven, but he has a purpose on earth. So let me ask you this. Are you absolutely convinced this morning that God has a purpose for your life here on earth? Or do you think that you're just here to do your time and go home to heaven? Let me, let me reassure you that that's not the case. If you're truly saved, you're here to magnify Christ through his church, through reaching the lost, through caring for one another, for proclaiming the gospel. We need you as a church. The lost need you as a church. And Christ will use you in his church. You have a purpose. Every single Christian has a place in the body. Not just to take up space, but to be functioning. So you cling to your reason for living. You cling to the purpose that God has called you to do, which is to magnify Him on earth by showing compassion to others. That's what Paul's doing here at the church at Philippi. He's, he's recognizing they have a need. They have an ongoing need. And so he's willing to set aside his subjective feelings to do what objectively they need have done, which is to help them face real dangers in the future. So look with me at Philippians 3. You can see that. Paul says, here's, here's one of the reasons. Here are... Many of the reasons why I must remain in the flesh. I'm here because you have need of my teaching. You have need of the doctrine of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. Because these guys are coming. False teachers are coming. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by, spirit, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he goes on to warn them about these guys who want to detract from Christ's accomplished work by adding circumcision and human traditions to the gospel. He says, it's, it's necessary for me to cling to my life for your sake. I need to complete this teaching that God has given me. The church needed Paul. Not just here. They needed him actually in their relationships as well. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Udiah and I entreat Syntica to agree in the Lord. These two women were bickering in the church. Two believing women, believe it or not, they were bickering. They were having problems. And so Paul says, I'm writing these things to you and I want to come to you. I want to come to you so that I can help you deal with the conflicts and the false teachers. You have need of continued sanctification in the truth. Paul, Paul loves Christ and he loves Christ's church. He wants to go home and be with Christ. But he also knows that he needs to stay and express Christ's love for his people through his ongoing service and his teaching. Paul's dilemma is, is constricting him for, I think, one main purpose. It's, it's sanctifying him. I think it's, it's squeezing the Apostle Paul to see what would come out of him. And what comes out of Paul's life is a sweet aroma of Christ. 
what, what squeezed out of him, when, when Paul is constricted, what squeezed out of him is Christ's love for his church. Do you see that? Jesus loves the church at Philippi so much that he will sustain the Apostle Paul through two years of misery so that he can send him back there to care for their needs personally. Jesus loves this church that much too. Jesus loves our church like this. And he, he wants us to feel this constriction, I think, here practically in the, as a church. Listen, constriction like this can, can either lead to a self-centered craving to go home and be with the Lord, to escape the troubles of life, to get out of this world as soon as we can, or constriction can lead to the fulfillment of our mission. Did you know that even a focus on heaven can lead to depression? It can lead to depression if you neglect your mission on earth. If all you think about is getting out of here and going home, you will be miserable in this life because you are missing God's calling for you presently. Fruitful labor, that's why you're here. Fruitful labor will make you feel joy and satisfaction here on earth, not depression. You ever notice that when, when we focus on our own well-being, our own happiness, our own life, we tend to drift into depression. Do you ever notice that? When you're pursuing what you want in life all the time, neglecting what God's called you to do, you feel miserable. But whenever you regain your focus, when you begin to focus back on what God's called you to do, you begin to focus on doing good to others and focus on proclaiming God's message, the gospel. There you find joy and satisfaction again. When you forget about yourself, you enjoy Christ and you enjoy life. Self-abandonment leads to joy and satisfaction. Do you ever, ever think about that? Do you ever wonder why, as a Christian, why you feel depressed? Do you ever think about why you feel depressed when you're not serving Christ or not serving His church? I think the answer is right here. Depression, in that sense, is a gift of sanctification. God is constricting you in His love. He is, he is constricting and compressing you, causing you to examine what you're living for. Are you living for yourself? Or are you living for Christ? Are you magnifying Jesus? Or are you magnifying your comfort? He loves you too much to let you magnify your comfort. He wants you to be squeezed out of that and put back on the right path. So ask yourself this morning, does, does your constricting dilemma does it pressure you does it propel you wholeheartedly into god's mission or are you just sitting on the fence biding your time till heaven if you are you'll be miserable here on earth but a life of self-abandonment will bring you great pleasure here on earth when you live for the glory of Christ and to magnify His love for the church through your activity, through your actions, you will find satisfaction and joy. You're here today. Each one of you are here today. And I think you're all alive. Right? You're here this morning and you're alive in Christ. 
I pray everyone here is born again. You're here remaining. You're here clinging. And listen, let me tell you this. You're here remaining and clinging to God's ordained grace and God's ordained purpose for your life. You're remaining in grace and you need to remain in God's purpose. You need to continue on clinging to life so that you can produce fruitful labor for Christ and magnify His love for others. I believe that's what God wants this constricting dilemma in our life to lead to. I think that God wants our constricted dilemma to lead to Christ-magnifying actions according to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. See, see Paul, Paul had just talked about being ready to strike the tent and go home to be with the Lord, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And then further down in chapter 5, he goes on to say, look, if I'm not absent from this body and I'm presently here with you, here's, here's what I want to do. I want this constricting dilemma to produce something. I want it to produce this, the love of Christ. Look at 5.14. For the love of Christ controls, oh, this is a great word because it reflects what it says in Philippians, controls or presses, or compresses, or constrains, and conforms. The love of Christ controls. That means the love we have for Christ while we live here on earth should dominate and transform and mold our actions, our lives. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, notice this, those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Guess what? He says, your life is not your own. The life that you live is to be lived no longer for yourselves, but for Him, for Christ's sake. Verse 16 says, From now on, because of this, therefore, he says, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, get this, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, either verse 17 is true and our lives will be changed so that we will magnify this love for Jesus by loving others, or verse 17 is a complete lie. Either you are a new creation with new affections and new purpose and new intentions that lead to Christ-like compassion, or verse 17 isn't true. And we know that verse 17 is true. We died with Christ. We've been raised up with Christ. We're new creations. The old man has passed away. The new has come. Verse 18 says, all of this is from God. It means God did this. God transplanted our heart. God took out the heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. He regenerated us. He did this. He says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, the ministry of reconciliation leads to the magnification of Christ's compassion. You're saved, made a new creature, so that you could magnify this, Christ's reconciling power and His love. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us, 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, verse 21 is a future promise. I know that. But verse 21 is also a present reality that is to shape us. Jesus was made sin so that we would become the righteousness of God, so that we would become the righteousness of God. Where? In heaven? Yes. On earth? Yes. By being His ambassadors, reflecting His righteous work, declaring it, sharing it with others. The love of Christ, He says, constrains us, controls us to serve as Christ's ambassadors here on earth. Our our dilemma in life, like Paul's, does not allow us to remain in a neutral position as Christians. Our dilemma is supposed to redirect us back to our mission. It's supposed to redirect us back to our mission with confidence that Jesus left us here as His ambassadors. That's what the Apostle Paul understood when we come to Philippians 1.25. We see what an ambassador of Christ looks like here in 1.25-26. to 26. Thirdly, we, we hear the Apostle Paul speaking in this text about his confident determination. 25-26 to 26 reveals Paul's confident determination to magnify Christ's exaltation, worship, through edification. He says, it's more necessary for me to be here with you in the flesh. And he says, verse 25, I'm convinced of this. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He says, I know that I will continue. And that word continue has to do with cutting a new path. I know that I will remain for this reason. I will come to you and cut new paths. New paths that lead to an old truth. New paths that lead you to ample reasons to glorify God for the work of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to remain and cut new paths with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And in the faith in this context, he's talking about in the doctrine of Christ. I am going to come to you, cut a new path that leads to your progressive joy in the doctrines about Christ that I have to bring to you. Here's why I know that. Here's why I know that's what Paul means. He says, I'm going to do this so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm going to do this so you'll have ample cause to glory in me, to exalt me. How can they exalt Christ if he's not coming to them with the faithful doctrines about Christ? He's coming to them with the faithful doctrines of Christ that will lead to their progress and their joy in the faith so they would have ample reasons to magnify Jesus because of His coming to them again. Paul's confident determination magnifies Christ's exaltation here. They would be joyful that Paul came to them. They would be happy that Paul came to them. But they would not, that would not lead them to ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. If he just showed up as a visitor to greet them, that would be insufficient. He comes to them with faithful doctrine. 
that gives them a reason to magnify Jesus. And Paul knew positively that if God left him on earth, this was his purpose. And nothing on this planet could stop him from accomplishing God's will in the church at Philippi. We see an example of Paul's determination in the book of Acts again, Acts 20. Paul's attitude in Philippians, I think, came as a result of this determination that we see here in Acts 20, verse 18. Paul's determination was to bring Christ's glory through the church. Through edifying others, through serving Christ's church, Paul was determined that Jesus would be praised. He was confident of this. And he expresses his confidence here in Acts 20, 18. He says, When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. He was was determined to bring Jesus' glory by teaching and loving these people so that Christ would be exalted in the church. Verse 21 says, I was there testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he is confidently determined that he's going to do this in spite of this revelation. He is going to exalt Christ through edification of the church, even if it costs him everything. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. God, let that be our testimony. That we do not count our lives of any, as any value, as precious to ourselves, but that we might finish the race so that we can exalt Christ through the church. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone and about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which is obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This was Paul's confident determination that he would preach 
Christ in the church and edify them so they could exalt Christ practically. They could be protected from false teaching. That they could grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and proclaim it themselves faithfully. Paul's determination was to be a servant of Christ Jesus on earth and exalt Jesus through edification of the church. That needs to be our determination. Paul's determination magnified Jesus' determination. It magnified Jesus' determination to become a servant for the progress and joy of his church. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see that Christ did that in Scripture. We see that Christ gave his life as a ransom for many and that Christ gave the church servants to care for the church. And so we see Christ's confident determination not only to save us, but to serve us by edifying his church through faithful, obedient servants that will exalt Christ, according to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11 says that, speaking of Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking, The truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up or builds itself up in love. See, Christ confidently determined to serve us by becoming our sacrifice on the cross and then giving us gifts in the church, to continue his sanctifying work in us, apostles, prophets, and then pastor teachers. But he gave those gifts to the church for a very specific reason. It was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that you would magnify and exalt Christ through your love for one another, through your evangelism in the world. That's why Christ sent Paul back to Philippi. That's why God sustained Paul's life in that Roman prison for so long. That's why he says what he says in Philippians 1.26. I do this so that, he says, in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul was confident that his return to Philippi would cultivate progress and joy because he would equip them by magnifying Jesus' work. He would edify them with sound doctrine. And he was confident that if he sent back, that that would produce progressive joy and Christ-exalting praise. That's what Paul lived for. What do we live for? That was Paul's focus in his life. What are we focused on? I think that we, we want to be focused on this. For us to be focused on this, we have to keep coming back to this and be reminded of this. We have to be fed the word to remember 
the mission that we're called into. Paul lived to edify Christians. Is that your desire? Do you, do you live and, and think and breathe the edification of the saints? I mean, do you seriously think about people in this congregation day to day, praying for them, pursuing them, seeking to encourage them? That's what Paul lived for. Because he knew through that, when the saints were edified, Christ would be exalted. Christ would be praised. Paul lived to evangelize the lost. Why? So that they could praise Jesus. Do you live to evangelize the lost so that they can declare Jesus' great worth. Paul lived to exalt Christ simply in his life and in his death. Paul lived to magnify Jesus' lordship over his life. He lived to magnify Jesus' compassion through his life. He lived to glorify and magnify Christ here on earth through exalting edification as he served the church. And listen, church, I, I really think that in this text what we need to learn is this. That's why we are saved also. I know we're not apostles. I recognize we're not prophets. But you're saints who are called to be equipped in the work that God has sent you out to do through his gospel. Part of that work is to edify the church. He saved you for that reason. He saved you and left you here to exalt his great worth in the church and to the lost. You exist. You have breath in your body right now and your heart is pumping for one reason. It is to bring fruitful labor to Christ. It is to magnify his worth with your life. And listen, I want you to understand this. There, is, there will be absolutely no fear of loss if you do this. There is no fear of living a wasted life if you are determined to magnify Jesus. Paul did not waste his life. Look with me at one more text in 2 Timothy. I want to show you that there is no fear of a wasted life if you're determined to do what Paul was doing here with his life. These are Paul's last words before his death. And listen, when I read this, I really hope and pray, seriously, prayed this morning, that these will be my last words. And these will be your last words. That this attitude will be reflected in our attitudes at the end of our days. I don't care about building a testimony of myself. I want to testify to Christ. And so do you. In verse 6, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's dying. He's given his life as a living sacrifice, is what he's saying in that verse. What does he live to do? Well, he, he lived to evangelize the Gentiles. He, he lived to edify church after church after church while being beaten and bludgeoned and stoned. He was a, a living sacrifice. He says, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And, I love this, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Not just those who love His appearing when He comes on that day, but all those who love His incarnate appearing. All those who love His revelation. You will receive a crown of righteousness. But don't you want to be able to say at the end of your days, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have guarded the faith. I have defended the faith. I have stood firm for the faith. I have lifted up Christ with my life. Is, is that your confident declaration today? That was Paul's. Paul understood that magnifying Jesus was most important. Magnifying Christ was Paul's progressive joy in his life. And magnifying Christ was his full joy after his death. He lived for it and he obtained it by God's grace. And he did that by serving his church, by loving the lost. Paul magnified Christ by his response to Christ's intention for his life to be a defender of God's gospel. Paul magnified Christ by his response to Christ's compassion for the church, which constrained Paul to love God's people. Paul magnified Christ by his response to Christ's exaltation through his service, which led to Paul teaching God's people and serving them faithfully with his life. Christ's magnification is also declared by your response to those things. Christ is magnified as you respond to His intentions for your life, His calling on your life, His direction of your life to be His faithful servant. He's magnified by your response to His compassion that you've received from Him and that you show to His children, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's magnified by your response to your desire to exalt Him through edifying others, through serving His church. So let me just ask you, are, are you, are you pursuing His desires? Are you responding? Are you declaring? Are you struggling with this dilemma? Are you, are you determined to continue on serving so that He would be magnified here in your life and on earth and one day in glory as we gather around His throne together? Let me ask you to examine your life this morning. What does your life magnify? If we look through your life, what would be most important and prominent in your life? What are you most focused on today? The exaltation of Christ through compassion, through direction, serving others, through obedience to His call to give your life, as his witness, as his ambassador? Are you truly determined to live a life that magnifies Jesus' lordship, that magnifies Jesus' compassion and exaltation? Now, 
I think we're all going to say yes to that. But we all feel inadequate. And you may feel ill-equipped. And listen, that's why the church is here. We're here to edify you, to build you up in the faith. So come to Nate, come to me, and, and we will help you. We will serve you. Others in the church will serve you and help you to understand this is your role and you can do this by God's grace when you are instructed according to Scripture. But if you're not determined to magnify Jesus this morning with your life, you need to ask yourself why. It could be the one reason that you're not consumed with these desires like Paul was is because your world is not dominated by what Paul's world was dominated by. Paul's world was dominated by God's Word. But our world too often is dominated by the world. What are you feeding on daily? What are you absorbing daily? Are you dominated by the thoughts of the world or the thoughts of Christ? If you're dominated by the thoughts of the world, it will... It will reduce your desire to magnify Jesus. But that can be easily resolved. Pray. Ask God to change your affections. Repent. Turn away from the things that are distracting you from the Word of God and turn back to God's Word. Turn back to biblical edification. Come here on Sundays. Come here on Wednesdays. Find someone to be edified by personally. Determine in your heart that magnifying Jesus is more important than your easy life. Jesus will give you satisfaction and joy and progress in the faith if you pursue this. You will not have a wasted life if you pursue this. If you pursue the pleasures of the world, your time here is absolutely wasted. It is. I've wasted far too much time in my life. I am constantly repenting of my wasteful behavior. But the church is here to help you redeem your time and send you out to reach the lost. If you're not determined to do what God wants you to do, you have to ask yourself why. If you don't have a desire to magnify Jesus, it could be that you're filling your mind with other things or it could be simply this, that you are not truly born again. If you're saved, your passion, your heart, and your soul, and your actions want to magnify Jesus. And if that's not the case, you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. But I've got good news. Jesus died so that you could magnify Him on earth. Jesus came into this world. He appeared to show us the compassion of God by living the righteous life that we could not live and dying the death that we deserve so that our sins would be imputed to Him and His righteousness would be laid to our account and that He would rise from the grave to declare that we are justified by grace through faith in His accomplishments. And we can repent now from pursuing our selfish pleasures and we can turn to what He desires which is to bring Him glory here and in the future in heaven. That's what Paul lived to do. And if, if you are not living for this, one, I'll ask you to examine your life. What are you feeding on? And two, I'll ask you to repent and believe the gospel. And I pray that through that, Jesus will be magnified. Let's pray and ask Him to do that.
Father, we thank you today that you have given us direction in your word so that we would know your intentions, we would reflect Christ's compassion, and that we would bring him great exaltation as we come together to learn and to make progress and joy in the faith, the faith that has been delivered to us once and for all through Christ, through your Spirit, through your Word, so that we could gather and be fed and edified and directed so that we could go into the world and be scattered out as your missionaries, your ambassadors, and declare the great worth of Jesus. And then one day we will be completely gathered in glory around your throne, exalting your compassion and your intentions forever and ever. So God, I pray that you would put that passion in us today and that it would transform every single saint in this building today. And those who are not saved, I pray that today this would be the day of their salvation so they could see that their life is not to be wasted. It has a divine, God-ordained purpose, which is to magnify Jesus now and forever. I pray this, Lord, for the good of your people and for the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen.